Hello, my fellow human beings. This is Robert Roach with the Type 1 Planet podcast. And today we are talking about algae, which is that single cellular form of life that lives in the oceans and the ponds and is the the muck in a uh, the you know little river behind your house or whatever it is. Um, and we're talking about it because it has a lot of incredible uses in our civilization. Um, and we are just now starting to tap into that technology. So today I had with me Chris Fisher. He's a PhD in chemical biology. He's an amazing scientific communicator, and he is uh, the scientific affairs manager with Provectus Algae. And Provectus is this company based out of Australia, and they figured out some incredible new technologies for allowing companies to tap into the power of algae to create novel molecules that have a myriad of different uses. So we were able to, first of all, get into what is algae, why is it so different? You know, its photosynthetic properties make it unique in many ways, including being carbon negative and it, uh, it decarbonizes the environment. But also it's super versatile and it's, it's dynamic in its environments and it has to survive in all different kinds of environments across the world. So uh, it, it can trigger these interesting gene expressions depending on what kind of light they're exposed to. Provectus has capitalized on this and they've created these technologies that allow them using precision precision photosynthesis to get their algae to do different things and those different things are truly remarkable so we get into the way that these different molecules that they're able to create are changing the beauty industry the food industry the agricultural sector you know medical and pharmaceutical applications uh the list is seemingly only as limited by how much work and how much time is being put into investigating this amazing single cellular organism um so there's a lot of stuff here. Chris is wonderful. Um, he's an excellent communicator, as I said, and he um, he has a lot of ideas about where this can go. And so this might just be the beginning. Um, if you have listened to the All Fed episodes, there is a lot of reference to some of the big food-based initiatives that um, you'll hear from All Fed here. And so uh, check those episodes out as well. But let's start here. Algae is a really interesting new technology. You know, it's obviously a species, it's a kind of uh, living thing, but it has a technological uh, component that could be really useful to us as people. So take a look, let us know what you think. Um, as always, visit Type 1 Planet uh, on social media at Type 1 Planet or visit us on our website, type1planet.net. Um, send us a DM or an email and let us know what you think. We should be talking to anyone. Uh, your contributions are always welcome. Thank you and enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome to the Type 1 Planet Podcast. This is Robert Roach, and today I have a longtime friend uh, and also newly acquainted Type 1 Planet uh, uh, interview on this show, Chris Fisher. He's a PhD in chemical biology. It's an amazing science communicator, and he's currently the scientific affairs manager with Provectus Algae. And he's here to talk, about, talk to us about how algae and photosynthetic biotech could potentially tra- change the world. So, Chris, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, yeah, it is a bit of a blast from the past to be here with you, but uh, it's good yeah. good to get the old uh, team back together. So, uh, Chris and I were in a skit comedy troupe at Boston <laughs> University called Theater for Everyone, and it was one of the most chaotic chaotic parts of my college career. So, uh... <laughs> chaotic is the right word for sure. I mean, fun, <laughs> fun, but chaotic is right. It was amazing. Um, so, Chris, I actually we got connected because I saw you post a video about your company, Provectus, yeah. online. We're gonna jump all the way into what Provectus does. But first, I want to talk a little bit about algae. 
um, yeah. and microalgae, uh, you know, maybe there's a difference there that you can, you can point out, but you know, one of the articles that you sent me to prep for this was a, cl- a claim that microalgae has a long resume of success in, uh, in the history of life on this earth. So what is algae? Why, what is it so good at? Why is it different than other forms of life? Yeah, those are, I mean, those are great questions and really, I think, a good setup for the rest of our conversation. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with the what is algae um, first, since that seems like a pretty logical place. That's the so, pronunciation, algae. Am I am I already uh, mispronoun- mispronouncing it? <laughs> either is fine. Uh, it is a dialect difference. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're operating out of the U.S., people say algae. If you're operating out of the U.K., my company is based in Australia. Uh, takes on British English, so they use algae. So yeah, okay. either is fine. Uh, there's no right and wrong answer, believe it or not. Um, it's just confusing. That's all. Nice, nice. So what what's what makes it different? Yeah, um, yeah. So algae is is kind of a unique class of, I mean, diverse class of organisms on the planet. So for that question about like what is the difference between sort of algae as that base concept and microalgae as a subgroup. Um, algae are really any eukaryotic photosynthetic organism um, that's operating in, in largely aquatic life. So, right, your seaweeds are obviously a form of algae. Those are called macroalgae because um, they're visible to the human eye. And then there's another class, a large class um, of, of algae species known as microalgae that are single-celled organisms. They're microscopic, um, you know, as the name implies. And, you know, they absolutely populate uh, almost, I mean, every ecosystem on the planet. Um, so from the ocean, the surface of the ocean to a little bit further down to lakes, ponds, rivers, to snow and ice and the Antarctic and Arctic. So they really are found absolutely everywhere. Um, and really the fundamental difference, again, separate from size, let's say from a macroalgae to a microalgae is that they are free floating. Um, so they operate as individuals as opposed to tethered to a larger organism. And just for the point of ambiguity, there is also this other class that gets lumped in with algae and microalgae as well. Those are called cyanobacteria, also known as blue-green algae. Technically not algae, but they have been referred to as algae for so long that some people just group them in anyway. Uh, so all that is to say, they're all photosynthetic organisms, um, and and the primary the primary sticking point is that they're not terrestrial plants. And all of all of those three classes I just discussed. The vast majority of them are photosynthetic, um, even if they have also capabilities to operate what's known as heterotrophically. Hmm. So why why are why is algae so successful? I mean, it's all over the planet. Is it just because yeah. it can thrive in any form of water, and there's so much water? Yeah, I mean, I, there's kind of a lot of answers to that question, but from my perspective, I think it's just you know it, it it's been on the earth for a long time right so it had the opportunity of being on this planet for billions of years ahead of a lot of other life forms and as a result sort of was able to acclimate to a lot of different environmental niches and to some extent especially in the case of microalgae they're filling whatever void is there so as they enter an ecosystem you know they are um, making use of their metabolic processes to make the things that they need what is deficient in in, in the environment they will try to make so over time, they acclimate to kind of fill the gaps and um, ultimately survive in whatever that niche is. And given enough time and given enough opportunity, especially since most of their metabolic processes are based off of absorbing light, it means they can really find a way to thrive anywhere. So, you know, from my perspective, that diversity of, of algae species out there is a testament to their ability to evolve and to survive. And what they're doing to evolve and survive is evolve new metabolic capabilities to, as I said, to fill gaps, to 
um, protect them in that ecosystem dependent on what the the external pressures are. So they've just gotten really good at figuring out how to survive. And mm. they're, the fact that they take in light to do so makes things a little bit easier in some way that they're not sort of bound to consumption in the same way that you know humans are or mammals or even eukaryotic cells are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a good framework for us to work here with here because um, people may not be familiar with algae you know, and what it can do, what it is. Yeah. I didn't even know that, for example, it's only a body of single cellular organisms floating. They're not collaborating in any way. They're all just living, dividing and dying. Right. So, yeah, um, I mean, the, you know, there is possible, there's possibility that in some of these large communities, like in blooms, that there is some community sensing and communication that's going on. But yeah, they're, they're single celled, right? So they're, they're out, they're in it for themselves by and large. Um, right. But I'm sure that there is, depending on the species conditioning that they're doing, that is mutually beneficial to everybody. Mm. Okay. Got it. So let's start getting into why Provectus exists. Yeah. Let, maybe we can begin with a theoretical standpoint. Um, wh- why did the founders of Provectus or, or similar organizations look at algae and say, there's a huge opportunity here? Yeah. Um, well, it all starts with our founder, Nusky Spin, um, and he's been working in uh, aquaculture for almost 20 years. And, uh, you know, how he cut his teeth, so to speak, was um, operating in the pearl oyster industry in Southeast Asia and, and globally. Um, and, you know, uh, for, for feeding these oysters, a lot of them depend on algae in their diet. And it turns out that it's not sort of just a staple or an individual algae that they can sample and feed to all of them. They're adapted to consume niche species. They need them in large quantities in some cases. And it's quite difficult to grow them to large scales, particularly if it's, you know, as I said, sort of an underexplored species or one that there aren't a lot of commercial solutions available for. So what that meant is that through the course of his career, Nusky had developed a skill set to grow these different algae so they can grow them on large enough scale so they can feed the oysters so they can make beautiful pearls. Great. Um, that at the same time, while important and obviously there's a, a huge market for those types of luxury goods, they are still luxury goods. And to some extent, that skill set that he developed that um, to, to grow so many algae species and to understand how they interact with their environment to, to grow them effectively was sort of being underused, at least as far as he's concerned, right? Like, you know, oh, I'm growing, I'm using this skill set to make pearls as opposed to do bigger and better things or greater things that might have a, a larger impact. And at the same time, since Nusky's done a lot of that research, he understood that there is a lot of commercial potential that's that's been sort of hidden beneath uh, the surface of algae. And, and really, the trouble has always been growing them effectively and growing them consistently and being able to rely on them for commercial products. And, and really, that's what I, I think has sort of held them up compared to some other more common biomanufacturing systems. So essentially what Nusky did then at that point is say, okay, well, um, there's an opportunity here. We have a skill set. I have a basic knowledge of how to grow algae. Um, Let's develop the end-to-end stack that will help other people capitalize on the capabilities of algae, right? So from biodiscovery, that is digging into algae species, seeing what they're making, what are the interesting molecules, what are their functionalities, and then grow that into a product development and biomanufacturing platform where you can actually cultivate those algae in large enough scales to do some optimization, to study them in smaller bioreactor conditions, and then en route to much larger uh, bioreactors that would be used, say, for commercial operations. So really, Nusky was trying to fill a need that um, there's a 
a huge demand to, for biomanufacturing, and really there are only a small number of different cell types available to, uh, to, to commercial partners to actually make those, those products. And none of them are photosynthetic, and none of them are microalgae, really. So um, really, it's a chance to broaden the toolkit available to, the, to biological research and to biomanufacturing and bring a whole new class of species online, but by lowering the barrier to entry for everybody else. Okay. So that's sort of the the backdrop for for um, why Nusky founded uh, Provectus Algae. Um, but I would just go I'd just expand a little bit more to say, you know, why we care collectively as a company. And and it gets back to that point about diversity um, and metabolic potential. Because of the fact algae have, have cultivated and have, have been grown um, in basically every niche on the planet. They've developed a series of unique skill sets, right? Well, it sounds a little Liam Neeson-esque. That's not exactly what I meant. Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they, they've developed metabolic capabilities to make a bunch of molecules uh, to survive. And it turns out that those molecules have a lot of commercial value if we can find a way to grow them. That said, we've only really studied a very small number of algae species well enough to understand what their commercial potential is. It's probably on the order of 10 to 20, uh, whereas there are probably conservatively, let's say about 100,000 microalgae species and maximally millions, right? So if we we know that they're thriving in all of these different ecosystems and we know that of the species we're aware of, their me uh, metabolomes are quite different, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to harness them and to, to dig into what they're producing and find ways to use that to, to um, use it in various industries in the life sciences. So that's kind of the, the main, I would say the main argument for what we're doing is Algae have a ton of potential in terms of what they can make. Obviously, we're, we're also growing them in uh, photosynthetic systems. So that comes with the benefit of the fact that they are consuming CO2 as they are making these molecules. And they offer another arm to those biomanufacturing groups that are looking to make uh, impactful uh, bioproducts uh, for, for what the market needs today. So that's what I would say is that's the backdrop and then followed that up with um, why we're all here doing this is that there's just a lot of potential waiting in the wings. Okay, got it. So the way I understand what you said to me is yeah. that there's a lot of potential uses for algae, but it hasn't been explored to an extensive degree because it's pretty difficult to grow. It's pretty difficult to isolate and it's yeah. difficult to tap into these capabilities, these molecules, for example, the ability to create molecules because the technology wasn't there. But Provectus is able to, to a companies like Provectus is able to say, okay, we've got some novel technologies and we haven't gotten into this, but the you're able to trigger gene expression by exposing algae to certain forms of light. And then all of a sudden right. you're making what is basically a fairly useless uh, uh, biotechnology into something that, you know, you're, you're, you're triggering gene expression, you're creating uh, molecules that are really difficult or impossible to get previously. And that's uh, not only profitable, but potentially really useful um, for, for our civilization. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, you, I think you covered it quite well that uh, really, you know, there's, there's a tremendous shift that's happening right now that is to move away from petroleum-based chemical goods. Basically, every solvent and most starting materials used for synthetic chemistry uh, nowadays, I mean, really since the industry started, was through petroleum products. Now, you know, of course, those are going to continue to have an important role in society. They're not going to go away overnight. 
there's a lot of interest in replacing those with with bio-based alternatives. You know, so drop-in replacements; those might be the same molecule but made biologically instead of synthetically. Um, and and obviously, a lot of that drive is to make our habits and our manufacturing capabilities more sustainable over time. Mm. Um, so you know, obviously, that's a major market driver for biomanufacturing in general. Is that there's an interest to broadly to make these molecules move away from petroleum-based chemicals and then simultaneously capitalize on the unique skill set of cells, right? There's a specificity that cell systems and enzymes have that still, I think, supersedes a lot of what we can do with chemistry. There's also a creativity. There are molecules that they are making that you know, we haven't really wrapped our heads around and that we don't necessarily make today because we don't have a use case for them. Mm. But if we were able to do biodiscovery and explore those molecules, we can identify novel uh, molecules that are perhaps a replacement for what's out there, but they're a functional improvement versus just sort of a drop-in replacement. So yeah, I, you know, as you said, I think Provectus Algae is all about operationalizing algae as a biomanufacturing system. And to do that, we had to develop a, a wide range of technologies to, to effectively grow them and to grow them photosynthetically, which adds an additional, obviously, as additional su- sustainability benefit. So, yeah, to that point, I can go a little bit more detail about the the lighting technology. Can we helpful. can we quickly talk yeah. about the per- petroleum products for a second? Can um, I, can I get an uh, an example of a product that was or is created using petroleum that could potentially mm-hmm. be swapped out with with algae products? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say there's there's quite a few, but, um, you know, a good example in the cosmetic industry today are um, surfactants. So, you know, those are kind of like the molecules that give uh, a soapy consistency. They help to wick away dirt. They um, they're what ultimately you lather and they form kind of the basis for a lot of cosmetic products. And uh, historically, they're made largely through petroleum based goods. But now you're seeing the industry particularly driven by consumer demand in the cosmetic industry to find re- drop-in replacements for those or new biological or biosurfactants. Mm. So, you know, that's not an area necessarily that Provectus algae has explored, but there is a lot of interest broadly to use algae and other biological species like coli or uh, yeast to make those types of molecules. That way, you know, you would then take them to the final product and be able to say, you know, this is a, you know, truly biological good, or, you know, they've replaced some percentage of the petroleum-based goods and reduced their carbon in, uh, footprint impact as a result. Mm. Um, I can give you another example that is, um, I would say, already existing in, in, again, in the cosmetics industry. So there is a demand for um, algae polysaccharides, in part because they, they do a lot of really interesting things, uh, particularly on the surface of cells. So, right, um, we all want to look young forever. Um, I'd like to look young forever, at least maybe not forever, but a while longer than I should. Um, and you know, a lot of that is dependent on, um, obviously signaling that's happening at your skin, but also the production of collagen and and the control of collagen. So you've probably heard of molecules like hyaluronin or HA that's become like everywhere in the cosmetics industry. Like basically every product says yes, 1% hyaluronic acid. Um, because it has a strong um, collagen induction effect um, and therefore helps with that kind of anti-aging property. Well, um, a lot of microalgae polysaccharides are structurally quite similar to those HA molecules. So they've been um, applied for um, basically functioning as inhibitors to uh, enzymes that might degrade HA on on the cell or or in a formulation of a cosmetic product. Um, And they also have strong, because they're 
uh, quite negatively charged, they have strong hydration uh, capabilities as well. So they themselves just retain moisture very well, which is also quite good for elasticity and and skin uh, health. So those there already are um, polysa- algae polysaccharides that are being used in those cosmetic products. And you know, the I guess the funny thread there is that cosmetics are the two examples that I gave, and I think to some extent that is a um, that is a testament to um, really the strong shift that's happening actively to have more bio-based ingredients in that sector, though others are doing the same as well. But I think the consumer angle is part of what's really motivated it for these companies that, you know, obviously there is a carbon footprint benefit, but but because they're large corporates, they all want to make money, right? Um, so if you can communicate with the public, if the public wants these types of things in their product, it gives you a competitive edge to say, yes, we use these materials that are made this way sustainably and without um, depending on petroleum products. So I think that that kind of covers it. Those are some examples. Certainly there are many others out there, but those are kind of two that come to mind. Okay. Got it. So yeah. So let's say I want to start some sort of uh, uh, luxury, you know, consumer beauty product and I want to uh, I'm seeing the trend. I'm like, okay, I want to create, you know, a, a product that I can advertise as carbon negative or carbon neutral. It has algae in it. It's, you know, it's, it's got no petroleum based, uh, base in its production. Um, would I, as that, as that founder or as the person running that organization go to Provectus and say, Hey, I'd like to get a stack, you know, an algae production facility put together. And then you guys would help me do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what I would say, you know, kind of the most common step for us would, I mean, we we, we obviously are producing ingredients uh, from algae. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for us, like we wouldn't necessarily, depending on the partnership, I guess, we wouldn't necessarily have them say, hey, we want to start to finish, have you design a brand new cosmetic product for us. That's not necessarily something that's um, within our capabilities to say, you know, let's take take this from beginning to end for the complete product. Now, if that product, what they're looking for is a molecule or an ingredient, of course. But you know, these cosmetic products, as an example, but a lot of these other consumer goods uh, have a lot of ingredients that are that are in them, right? So it may not be that for every single one of them that algae is the the perfect system to produce them. But I would wager that at least some of them are, and and perhaps some of the ones that are the most difficult to access because you know the technology that exists today might be centered around other cell systems that that are have certain skill sets and are been already established to make some of these molecules. So how it would typically look is somebody might say, hey, you know, we're looking to we, we have this new product that we're developing. Um, we want to have all of our ingredients be bio-based and, and non-petroleum based. You know, we're having trouble with um, with producing, let's say, um, an antimicrobial um, that would help with preservation and safety of the product just as an example, um, right? That's something that we could then go through our, our biodiscovery database and take a look at the algae species that we're producing today, understand what the molecules they're, they're actively, uh, that they're actively making, and then identify, hey, you know what? We think this molecule could serve this purpose, or maybe there's an exact replicate. Maybe we know that algae indeed from our database is making the thing that they're exactly trying to replace but with with a bio-based alternative instead of a synthetic chemical, right? So we can then do that discovery work, identify if there is potential for to, to create an algae production system that makes that molecule, and then we can go ahead and carry it through to see, okay, well, great. It's there. We think it's there in a decent amount. 
can we grow it and produce that molecule well enough that we think there's a you know a commercial opportunity here yeah. because right i mean that at the end of the day is what ends up being most important is it, a great idea is great but we have to be able to deliver uh, you know to the end user and if we can't make it in large scales then uh you know that that begs the question whether or not it's really a net benefit for us yeah. right so um, but yeah, that, that's generally how it would work. And we have a full tech stack to help from that early discovery stage. If there's a need to do genetic engineering, we can. Um, and then we have our own um, lighting technology and photobioreactor systems that are actually able to cultivate these species. So that way, that partner that you mentioned really doesn't have to go out and say, okay, great. Well, I found this molecule in this algae with Provectus's help, but let's go find somebody else that can help me make it or that can help me do the bioprocess development to make it. Um, you know, we do all of that in-house and we offer really, uh, you know, an end-to-end -end solution for any of those challenges of sort of traditional algae biomanufacturing. Mm. So tell me about, so what makes all this possible, it sounds like, you know, yeah. what makes it useful is that you, you guys are able to be really precise, you know, and, and the, the photosynthetic prop you were through precise technologies are able to like target these photosynthetic properties of algae get yeah. them to make these really interesting molecules that are useful to these companies so tell me about precision photosynthesis yeah you know what's going on at your facilities if you there's there's a great video online and it's just like flashing colors it looks amazing <laughs> you know from a from an ops perspective it looks great what is going on in those videos what's what's happening yeah. in your labs yeah, um, I know. I, I love those videos, and uh, I don't know, it just looks cool. I mean, uh, even if you don't have any idea what's happening, you just you're like, okay, some some technology is happening here. So it's, you, you got to have some good, good music vibe. playing in the lab, you know? Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We should get some rave music playing in the background, and I think that would really help. Um, yeah. So okay. So precision photosynthesis is um, it really is a, the I would say the the centerpiece of our IP and um, of you know the the whole uh, product development and biomanufacturing platform. As I said, you know, we're trying to operationalize photosynthetic microalgae as opposed to, you know, them sort of just doing what we do, consuming sugar and producing uh, CO2 and O2, which, which all of these algae can do. Um, so we're trying to ultimately produce these goods using just water, prim primarily just water and CO2 as, as the feedstocks, right? So the, the challenge with doing that is that a lot of photosynthetic systems inherently um, are not necessarily, I mean, controlled in a, in a native environment, right? So they're just getting blasted with whatever sun is available to them, dependent on the weather, dependent on the turbulence of the water that they're in, how deep in the water they are, right? Um, and obviously that can all change over time. So in response to that, um, these algae have developed, and, and this is true for, I would say, a, a, a huge number of photosynthetic systems, not just algae, but microalgae in particular, have a, all of these photoreceptors and their whole jobs are sensing light and dictating uh, a response to that light, right? So as an example, let's say it was a, a surface marine microalgae that, um, that grows predominantly like very close to the surface of, of the open ocean. Uh, there's a lot of UV in the open ocean. And even if these algae like light, they don't like light that much, right? They, UV can be damaging. Um, it can disrupt processes. It can lead to um, mutations in their DNA. So maybe a high UV environment would stimulate the production of certain pigments that are helped to absorb that light and to mitigate the damage. Or maybe it's something, it's a, a UV protectant that they're producing in response. 
So what this really means is that through that evolution and through the ability to sense light, algae have, have derived a number of photoreceptors and photosystems to sense light and then respond to it. And, and sure, a huge part of that is so that they can capitalize on the light make a bunch of chemical energy and then use it appropriately. But it's also for understanding, you know, what is the ebb and flow of the environment and how it's going to affect them and, and what do they need to do to respond. So what precision photosynthesis does is really unearths that information. It allows us to really precisely control the light conditions so that we can study the response effectively and do optimizations to determine what, are the, what is the ideal light to grow this microalgae and to maximize biomass, right? That's just sort of dry weight cells. That's what we need for producing things at scale. And then separately say, okay, well, we know what this algae prefers in a base sense, but are there light conditions that stimulate the production of the natural product that we're interested in? Can we get it to um, produce even more of it without having to necessarily go in and do genetic engineering to capitalize on it? Right. So that's, I think, a, a huge advantage for precision photosynthesis is that there's a level of gene expression control that we have that is independent of doing genetic engineering and traditional synthetic biology. That said, we can do both um, if there's a need or if we see an opportunity to expand. But it just lowers for, for a lot of companies and partners, it lowers the barrier to entry. It gives you a sense of whether or not it's going to work at large scale before you do a huge exercise of manipulating genomes and adding in recombinant uh, DNA to try to uh, you know, synthetically enhance the production of those molecules. We can do an assessment and say, okay, it's making it naturally. Mm -hmm. Can we find a light condition that is best suited to, to uh, maximize productivity? And then what's the gram per liter of that product at, at the end? And if that's above the threshold that makes sense for the economics, then we know that it's probably going to work and that we can carry it forward and do whatever else we want later to further optimize and improve uh, the bioprocess, whether that's genetic engineering, um, bioreactor design, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Got it. So what kind of, I mean, so... It, so uh, we were joking before we came online that like if you go onto YouTube or something and you say, um, uh, you know, algae is the future of or something, there's mm. all these different, you know, algae is the future of medical and pharmaceutical, algae is the future of the food industry, the agricultural sector of, of transportation and fuel, you know, um, if you were, you know, and all those things are things that I'm interested in exploring, but yeah. like, you know from your universe that you're in right now, especially with Provectus, like what are the big industries right now that look like they're going to get transformed by having access to this kind of technology now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, uh, of course, you know, I, I, as you said, I think there's broad potential. Um, anything where the life sciences have an intersect with another industry, I think there's an opportunity to apply our technology, but, but algae as a system, it's just a matter of developing the skill set, getting the relationship, identifying the molecule, so on and so forth. Um, that said, for me, I think it, in the short term especially, I think the food and beverage industry and the cosmetic industry um, are most likely to be transformed by algae most quickly. And I say that because there's already a precedent that's being set. There's already some market acceptance for the value of, of their molecules and of these cells in those industries. I mean, right? Like, even microalgae, but it's true of macroalgae as well. People have been consuming it for tens of thousands of years, um, and you know, in certain areas, um, the farming of um, of macroalgae, seaweeds, and microalgae 
is a huge industry. You know, you think of places like Korea, India, Japan have giant industries about eating, producing and eating algae, either as an ingredient or as, you know, um, or as a, a product itself. Mm. Um, so I think that that lends some support on the, on the commercialization side where people know of it, they're, they're familiar with it. There is an interest in, in algae and that way you can use that as a, a stepping off point to then say, okay, well, you've heard of that, but here's the new species that has been, that now can be grown commercially that does all of these things or that it makes this molecule that's a, you know, a drop in replacement for, um, you know, an anti uh, aging ingredient in your cosmetics, or maybe it's a, a pigment for foods or a flavoring and fragrance for, um, for food and beverage. So I think those industries are, um, I think are particularly strong. I would also go ahead and say that maybe even stronger than those two is the, um, agriculture and aquaculture industries. So, um, obviously aquaculture and algae have, have been intimately related for a long time, right? So can you define aquaculture real quick for me? Yeah. So that's like the production of foods in water-based systems, right? So if farming is the production of um, foods on terrestrial land, aquaculture is using large pools and tubs to produce uh, species that are going to be consumed. So right. Uh, Such that as might be fish. Yeah. It could be fish. It could be. Yeah, sure. Although to my knowledge, I don't think there are a lot of aquaculture production oysters for or eating, what what was but, your example yeah. with your uh with the founder at the beginning of the interview. that's right those are that was the uh, pearls, pearls right got it yeah yeah um though there might be some I, i'm not an oyster expert not yet uh no um so yeah i think aquaculture it, you know simply put is growing organisms for consumption yep. that are um that are water-based right that are fish that are crustaceans um you know, or or actually, it can be algae themselves. Like you can grow certainly algae. Growing algae in any kind of system is going to be aquaculture. So, um, why I think those industries are particularly well suited. Um, one again, it gets to that point of there's an appreciation for algae in aquaculture. I, I mentioned in that example earlier, but right, um, replacing fish feeds, making them more functional, uh, potentially including um, therapeutic components in the feed that are from algae that give you better growth or better survival. Um, I think there's already the acceptance that these organisms will eat the algae. So if you can find ways to make that um, that feed higher value uh, to those producers, then I think that that is an easy stepping point for them. And yeah, agriculture and animal health, I think is another, um, certainly I think on the animal feed side, I think you'll see a lot of growth in that sector. And that's a hugely important sector for Provectus algae is, um, you know, supporting, adding functional nutritional ingredients to animal feeds um, by way of capitalizing again on the ability to grow most any algae species. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a circumstance where, yeah, we identify that there is this particular microalgae species that, you know, is particularly good for, let's say, the gut health um, of a cow or of a ruminant, right? Um, and maybe we can enhance its nutritional benefit by upregulating the molecules that are of, of greatest interest. Um, to provide just a bit more direct color there, um, one area in the animal feed space that we're heavily involved in is uh, methane-reducing feedstocks. So, um, as I mentioned, sustainability is a huge the core philosophy or component of, of why we do what we do. 
Um, but methane reduction is sort of a nice benefit because they're or a nice uh, um, actualization of the tech because not only are you using photosynthetic microalgae that are um, consuming CO2 to make the feed ingredient, but the feed ingredient itself can also reduce the the carbon footprint of a major industry. And and um, animal livestock production is a huge source of carbon and, and methane is uh, a particularly um, large component of it. And methane, I believe, is as... Um, as a greenhouse gas is, I think, over 20 times more effective at, at capturing heat than CO2. It dissipates more quickly. That's true. But as we continue to grow the production of meat, the amount of methane in our atmosphere continues to go up as well. So um, yeah, functionally, you know, the strategy there is producing microalgae that generate a molecule, a protein, an enzyme internally that when consumed in the stomach of a ruminant releases those molecules and uh, allows them to effectively degrade or um, disrupt the production of methane from uh, methane producing bacteria. Those are typically archaea. So that's, a, I think, a, a really important area for us. We're doing a lot of active research in that space, approaching it from several different angles, um, both synthetic biology and natural biology approaches. Um, but I, as I said, I think as a result of the the benefit of using algae in feeds um, and the the functional benefits that that provides separate from the nutritional ones, I think makes it a really appealing spot for um, algae companies like ours. Um, and certainly you see that with macroalgae as well, that I think there is a lot of recognition that there are macroalgae species that have this potential benefit and you're seeing producers try to capitalize on that. Though the difference being between that, them and us is we are not growing in the open ocean, so there's consistent. We have better consistency. Um, you can't really grow genetically modified organisms in the open ocean um, for control reasons. There are regulatory approval pathways, but to my knowledge, there isn't. There aren't a lot of um, GMO organisms that you can just freely release um, into the into an ecosystem. So um, again, that's an uh, I think a, uh, an opportunity for our platform to grow those species, grow them consistently. Um, if we need to do genetic modification, we can without worrying about how we're going to produce them. It's already sort of inborn with with the tech. So, yeah, that's the that was the long answer. The short answer is um, animal health, agriculture, aquaculture, as well as food and beverage and cosmetics. Nice. There's a lot of inter the the audience of this show will be really familiar with a bunch of things that you were just talking about because we've yeah. done a series with a company called AllFed. And all fed is basically totally oriented to if there is a low light, there's a light reduction scenario where 5% of the global crops fail, there's going to be in our current system, mass starvation, right? Yeah. And how can a country quickly pivot to creating uh, a large amount of protein, for example, um, and, and then other like, you know, like sugars, proteins using their currently existing infrastructure. And, and a big one is, you know, they're one of their big initiatives, for example, is, um, seaweed, obviously kind of like seaweed production farms and stuff like that, but yeah. actually pivoting infrastructure is they can use bioreactors to create protein powder, um, just from single cellular organisms, you know, inside cool. and, and algae is actually one of them they don't focus a lot on algae in the interviews that mm -hmm. we've done but um but it's good to it's interesting to know for example i knew that seaweed reduces 
uh, methane in in like you know in cows, right? If you uh, yeah, if you're feeding it to them. But I didn't know that algae had the same effect. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, you know, I, I guess I would say is is it kind of goes back to where these organisms are growing, and particularly in the open ocean, uh, there's a lot of microbes in the water. Like if you were to just take a cup of I don't know, the Atlantic and look at it under a microscope, you'd be like real surprised with just the yep. diversity that you see. And then separately, there are things that are you're not even going to see very well in the microscope, right? So what that means is, is that all of these, especially the marine species, but, but it's true broadly, these microalgae species are living in a complex environment and they need to condition their environment to an extent to either survive or outcompete or work um, symbiotically with some of these species. There's lots of cases of that as well. So what that means is, is that there is a lot of opportunity to apply algae biotechnology where there's an intersection with other life, um, you know, where there is, a, you know, like for example, we just gave about um, um, methane producing archaea that um, these algae are making molecules that might um, be antimicrobial to those because it, it's a benefit to them in nature. Um, we're just using it now in their, in a cow stomach as opposed to how it's, uh, you know, happening naturally. So really what I would say is, is that, um, you know, that's part to me of the, the strength that algae has is that they're little chemical engines and they are actively looking to make these molecules to improve their likelihood of survival. And, and that includes when competing and working with other microorganisms. Mm. I think the, the, my, my, my takeaway, you know, if I, when I leave here and I talk about this interview, you know, over dinner is that mm. there's this, you know, algae is relatively untapped technology, you know, yeah. previously because of technological, uh, um, limitations. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, th we kind of don't know exactly how untapped it is right you know it seems like there's a huge amount of potential there's mm -hmm. you know um it reminds me kind of a early stage you know when when gene editing technologies really started to take off and we were able to start you know making these interesting um variations in genomes totally different technology but you know they were kind of like oh here's like this tool there's like this incredible engine here an algae mm -hmm. system that can create uh all these different sorts of molecules we don't really know what it's capable of and as you said there's so many um there's so many different, I, I, how many, I mean, you know, how many undiscovered algae species are there out there as well? You were telling me that right. there's like teams of people just going out and finding more and bringing them back to the lab. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. There are uh, culture collectives that are doing that work. I mean, um, certainly since our, our company is based in Australia, um, there's work done at the CSIRO, which is a major research institute um, run by the Australian government. Um, so they have a, a culture collective. There's another one that I'm familiar with out of the University of Texas. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of interest. Um, Scripps Institute of Oceanography, I believe, is another. There's a lot of interest to categorize the you know the microbiome of of the ocean and of the of of aquatic environments and obviously microalgae is a huge component and just as you said I, I think you're right that broadly speaking for for all of of life on earth I think there is a lot of innate potential that comes from billions of years of evolution these organisms have figured out how to do things that are really 
amazing. And if we can figure out how they figured it out, uh, or we can figure out how to make use of it, it opens up a lot of potential. And and yeah, just as you said, I think algae is a particularly good opportunity because it is so untapped to the you know it, as I would say currently compared to say something like. Um, I, I gave the example earlier of E. coli, which is a, a pretty well explored system that's being used in a lot of different ways, or Escherichia uh, uh, baker's yeast, which we've domesticated and have been using to make breads and beers and all sorts of things, and in, in biotech as well. So, you know, I'm I'm just a firm believer in trying to understand life on Earth and figure out what they're doing. And there are, if we do that appropriately, there will be a lot of opportunities to apply that tech. So I think, as I said, algae is a particularly well-suited area, but you could make that argument, I think, with all um, you know groups and kingdoms of of life. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I would say, as you said, algae has a lot of potential. The issue has been that we haven't really been able to grow it very well. Um, there have been some, you know, let's say historic challenges to large-scale algae, algae production that also, I think, stigmatized algae to an extent. So I, I'm not sure if you came across um, sort of the use of algae and, and biofuels. That's been a, a I would say. Yeah, I did actually right? go into that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would say in the early 2010s, you know, plus or minus five years, there was a lot of interest in using microalgae in particular to produce biofuels. And the logic and justification was, a lot of microalgae species are really good at making energy-rich uh, molecules, in particular um, complex uh, lipids and, and um, a wide range of lipids. So the logic was that there is an opportunity, just like with cellulolistic biofuels, um, that is like corn ethanol, there was an interest to try to uh, capitalize on algae's ability to produce these high-energy molecules and use them as biofuels. And, and frankly, you know, that was really good for the algae ecosystem and algae researchers because there was a significant uh, influx of, of you know, research funds, investments, the ability to begin to explore some of these species. Unfortunately, um, when you are a high-tech uh, enterprise and you're trying to produce something in a brand new way, you know, there are a lot of challenges that are sort of lying in wait. And in particular, when you're doing that and you're trying to directly compete with the petroleum industry, with its many subsidies, um, with its uh, commodity status and the, the I mean, truly remarkable scale that they produce their products, it gets pretty hard, right? So I, for my argument, what, what largely got in the way was that the production of microalgae for biofuels, just the economics in the end, or at least at that time, didn't make sense. They weren't able to make enough of it fast enough to compete with oil um, at its at its barrel price. So that meant that there was sort of a weird niche, right? It's like, well, energy has to be cheap for people to to use it, um, even if it's much better for the environment. It's very difficult to get consumers to to come on and to use it. And then separately, they weren't making enough of it to replace, um, or you know, broadly petroleum and and gas and fuels. So although it had a lot of benefit, I think, for the space, what it did, you know, there was, I think, a good deal of overpromising that happened as well, simply because there was potential, um, right? This will, some of what you described earlier, right? Like this will change the industry, the energy industry right. forever. And all we have to do is grow these microalgae. Um, and as a result, what that meant was 
it, although a great idea, very valuable to pursue, and that there's been infrastructure benefits as a result, it left a lot of investors dissatisfied because either they got burned by the process, they lost money, or because the commercial value just never materialized despite a lot of um, federal research dollars and investment from investors. That said, um, you know, actually, well, maybe I'll just give you a you know a great example. There was a company called Solazyme. I believe they ended up changing their name. Eventually, they closed their doors. Uh, you know, they were an early leader in the microalgae biofuel space. Um, and though the company ultimately was not able to deliver on its its final goal, a lot of those folks went on to be a part of um, other microalgae companies and are using the skill sets, the knowledge, some of the infrastructure that was developed in that time to bring about more emphasis on microalgae in the the more specialty chemical space. Mm. So. Anyways, it was kind of a double-edged sword. You know, certainly hurt to an extent. It stigmatized algae. It made people without necessarily the context feel like that system will, will never work. Right. Um, and to some extent, you know, there's validity in, in their concerns. Um, but what changed is, as with all the time in our industry, is the advancement of tech and new research and the ability to solve some of those past challenges. So at that scale production component, you know, for, from our perspective, being able to capitalize more effectively on light, make photosynthesis more efficient, um, is a w- and, and also use it to control gene expression is a way to solve a lot of those challenges. But right, even in that time span, the LED technology got way better, way brighter, way cheaper. Right, so that started to make some of these opportunities possible. So to some extent, you know, I guess what I'm driving towards is. You know, although we don't work in in the energy space, we're not focused at all on on biofuels. Um, the question I have is, was it too early? You know, if they had, if they, if that money was flowing in ten years from now, now even, would it have been more effective? Would it still had some of the commodity issues? Uh, you know, certainly that's that's very very plausible. Um, but all that is to say is that to some extent, the biofuel fuel boom bust um, came a little too early, but. Um, now, as we've used that information, we've built off of that infrastructure and some of the, the technology, like I said, LED is a good example, or um, you know, fluidic control and modeling of fluid dynamics. All of those things have made leaps and bounds in the last decade that now are making the production of microalgae much more efficient and effective. Mm-hmm. And then we are trying to fill in all of the other gaps um, with our own homegrown tech. Yeah, you can have as much hype as you want, but if you don't have the economic characteristics... It's just going to die. And I, that's yeah. a that's a big part of the show is like identifying, you know, which technologies are starting to have the economic characteristics to be able to be a real disruptor in, in yeah. the, you know, standard capitalistic model. And uh, that's why we're I was ex- I was so pumped to talk to you because it seems like this you know, algae technology is starting to have those economic characteristics where it's yeah, I, more, I think so. More useful, you know, more viable, more scalable, more more precise, uh, easier. You know, so it's uh, it's yeah. exciting, man. Yeah, I, I think so. And and yeah, the only other thing I would add there is, um, you know, I think we've gotten better at not trying to fit a square peg into a circle hole. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of biotech has been, where it's like, ah, uh, we we have E. coli, or we have yeast, or we have this one algae thing. Like, what is the big problem we have to solve? Because that's where the grant funding is. That's where the investor funding is, right? So there's this this exercise that you see where because we don't have that full sampling of life available to us, we're picking 
a poor tool sometimes to do a, a big task. Um, so what I think you're seeing now is as a result of um, companies having to be, and, and research groups having to be more thoughtful about their approach, they're trying to think about problems that make sense for the tech that they have. So instead of trying to you know match a solution to a problem, they're trying to match a problem to a solution, right? And find a system where um, you know, oh yeah, you know what? Microalgae make a lot of sense. They make a lot of this molecule naturally, or you know, this is a particularly strong area, and these these molecules are really expensive and they're difficult to make commercially. You know, uh, you know, I'll give you an example um, in the industry that um, there there are these um, uh, pigment molecules uh, uh, called carotenoids. There's a lot of commercial uh, value, both nutritionally um, as well as from other functional property, properties that they have. Among them is this molecule called lutein um, has a lot of benefits particularly for eye health but but there's there's a lot of exploration uh, uh, um, around what you can use lutein for so it might be say pigmentation say I think there's exploration for using them in like um, egg alternatives because it's kind of yellow but again also it has some pharmaceutical properties uh, most lutein production today is through the extraction of marigold flowers okay so that's people growing fields of marigolds to capitalize on an individual molecule. Okay. That, that makes sense. They make a lot of it. Um, so, you know, that's what we've chosen that system because we knew that and because people knew how to grow these things, but there are several microalgae species that do the job also extremely well and don't require arable land and certain geographic positions to, to be grown effectively. And I think if I remember correctly, uh, I, I don't quote me on this percentage, but I know that the vast majority of lutein production and marigold growth is also coming out of China, just one country. So if there are trade disputes, you know, between the country looking to import and the export country, that also adds a challenge for making things the way we've always made them. So anyways, all that is to say is um, I think that those are, that's, a, that's another example of some of the problems that we have by trying to just sort of either do things the way we've always done them or apply our favorite technology to every every problem that's on the planet. So instead trying to be pragmatic and say, okay, well, realistically though, like what do these microalgae do really well? And within that, where is the most value for end users and, and for the planet? Uh, I wish, I wish it were a circumstance, maybe we could, this would be a whole other podcast, but I wish that everyone would be more sustainable just for the sake of being more sustainable to live on a healthy planet and, and, and to, uh, continue living on this planet in perpetuity. You know, obviously I think generationally there is more appreciation for, for, um, living sustainably and in, in younger generations. And that's, that's great. But I wish I could just flip a switch and say, Hey guys, you know, we, sh we should just stop making petroleum based chemicals and start making them other ways. But people also have to live their lives. And to a large extent, if you're asking somebody to functionally change their way of life, um, buy something at a way higher price that was sort of a green premium, it has an effect on their, their quality of life. And, you know, so for us, like as best we can, you know, can we use biotechnologies and deep tech to be able to provide some in between, right? Where there is a net sustainability benefit, but there is also commercial viability, or there is also the ability to compete, uh, at cost for, for the consumer. And yes, it's it stinks sometimes to be caught in that where you're just like, okay, well, but this is a great idea. Like, and every if everyone did it, we'd the, we'd lower our CO two levels significantly. 
Um, but getting everyone to adopt that kind of step is very difficult without a material benefit or at least neutrality for them. Right. So that's something that you know we think a lot about, and I, I do think that our industry is uh, very aware of. Now there are also solutions that are just meant, you know, just for the sake of being more sustainable. But those are probably things that are um, sort of public services um, contracted through the government versus like a commercial enterprise that's trying to do something in a, in a new way. So there is a market for that. Um, you know, carbon capture uh, credits um, in particular as a result of the um, Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, there is some, um, there are some economic values there, but we're interested in trying to capture that carbon or to take that carbon and use it for things functionally as opposed to just sequester it and hide it somewhere. And to me, that's how we build a circular um, a circular economy and how we are able to merge the viewpoints of needing to be sustainable and and protective of our planet and also operating within the confines of our capitalistic system uh, like it love it or hate it so that's a, to us a, a pragmatic way to to approach those um, those major challenges well Chris I mean First of all, I got, I got to say, you're an amazing science communicator. And uh, if anyone's going to be relaying these complex ideas, uh, I want, I, I'm glad that our generation includes someone like you. So this oh, is, I'm, I'm excited yes. to see where this goes. Um, keep me posted on, uh, you know, the big updates from on the Provectus side. And maybe we can Absolutely. follow up if something, something big happens or if there's breakthroughs sure. in any way. Um, but thank you. This is excellent. And, and I'm excited to get this to the audience. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I hope everyone enjoys it. And uh, we make our steps towards that type one planet you, you're talking about. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris.